So what's it like to be a bigot? How does one increase their bigotry or become a bigot to begin with? Uh, are Christians immune to being bigots or are we extremely susceptible to it because of the world that we live in? Stay tuned. You fall into the theology pit. All deep. You fall in the theology pit. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Theology Pit. This is Theology Out of Pittsburgh, and not to be confused with The Bottomless Pit, because you know what we say, when you fall into a bottomless pit, you die of dehydration. I'm your friendly neighborhood host, podcaster, theologian, the Reverend Samson Kovach, coming back at you, another edition of The Theology Pit. And today, I decided, with everything that's been going on in our country, and in the nation, and what's happening, maybe we need to talk about bigotry a little bit here, and, you know, biblical examples of why there's bigotry and have that discussion and, you know, kind of examine ourselves because the thing is, is that if you asked a lot of people, are they bigots? You know, do they have extreme biases? Uh, they may say, well, probably yes, no, or they haven't identified them. Now, a lot of times people use the word racism and racism is a non- nonsensical word. There is no such thing as racism because there is no such thing as race. That is not a biblical worldview. Christians should not discuss racism because racism doesn't exist. There is only one race, the human race. To say that there are different races as though they are different species is an atheistic, naturalistic model. Okay, it is specifically a... Um, you know, macroevolutionary model that there are these different races of human beings or different types of human beings and just genetically some are superior, which means that others are inferior. Well, within Christianity, there's no such thing. There's only one race. So it's impossible to be a racist, but it is totally possible to be a bigot. It is completely possible to have a bias against a group of people um, and, and people groups, I mean, the, the word, you know, ethnic that we use in English uh, comes from the Greek ethnos, okay, which can either be translated as people or nations. So to not like a particular nation, you know, and, and think that your nation is better is a form of ethnocentrism. Now, ethnocentrism on its own is not a bad thing, okay? To be proud of your nation is not a bad thing. You know, to be proud to be a part of your nation is not a bad thing. When we look through the Old Testament, the Israelites were very proud to be God's people. You know, Israelis today are still proud to be God's people. There's nothing wrong with that. Even within people groups, you can start uh, whittling it down. And this is this is where it gets problematic because not only with, you know, with nations, if, if you know, there's um, issues with, broad generalization of everyone of a particular nation rather than the typical behavior of the nation. But if you start whittling it down, pretty soon you go from a, a an you know ethnic understanding of nations down to an ethnic understanding of, let's say, you know, geographic location 
to an ethnic understanding of within that geographic location, maybe a particular town or village, and we start to get into the, the tribalism. And then from that particular type of, of tribalism down to a particular group within that tribe. And then we get down from that particular group within that tribe to just close family members within that group that's within that tribe to eventually the maybe there's one or two family members that are actually in your inner circle, but yet you are still better than them. And you start navel gazing. You start looking at yourself. That's the ultimate outcome of all of this. And we find this in the first couple chapters of the letter to the Romans that Paul wrote. What he does in this, especially in the first chapter, is he starts telling them that, look, we know that there have been problems throughout the world, okay? Since, since the beginning, all right, mankind fell and caused all these problems. You see, we started out, we knew about God, okay? We knew God. And then we just got worse and worse and worse, we started ignoring God and, you know, looking away from him. We started looking away from the other, which is God. We never wanted to look to the other, to something other than ourselves, because that would mean that there was something greater than ourselves out there. Okay. It's like the opposite of bigotry. It's the opposite of it is, is looking away from yourself and continually looking away from yourself. And because of this, we started losing the capability of understanding the nature of God and even his handiwork. And it was given to all of mankind the evidence of the universe. You know, and in um, verse 18 of chapter 1, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people who suppress the truth by their unrighteousness. Everybody used to know it, but now we have a harder time recognizing that. The, um, the argument for the existence of God necessarily exists in an argumenta argumentative form, if that's even a word, argumentative, maybe that's a better one, an argumentative form because people ha don't have their own innate ability to be able to deductively look at the universe and understand that there's a creator. And so what did we do? We turned away from God and we started looking to other things, um, things that were not, you know, were, were made plain to us, but we decided that, you know, well, that's not of God. All right. And the creation, it says, the world shows his invisible attributes, Think of his eternal powers, divine nature, as the word says. And it says, for, they, for although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. So these are not people that are ignorant of God. What Paul's doing is he's taking us back to the beginning here. He's saying that after the fall, people knew of God. Okay, this is why you had people that would fight against God and try and make a, a tower to God, you know, some, some Nimrod out there building a, a tower of Babel. And why it has that name. And, and these people are without excuse. And, these, and it's not like these people, as though there's somebody different. It's these people as in us. This is the beginning of us. This is the beginning of who we are. This is the beginning of what we did. This is the beginning of all of humanity and the problems that happened. And if left to our own devices, 
we will continue to divide. It is the natural bent that we have because of our sinful inclinations. And we will divide in any way possible. We will divide ideologically. We will divide geographically. We will divide um, based on I don't know, yeah, skin tone. We will divide based on hair texture. We will divide based on um, speech patterns, you know, languages. We we are a race of people that sin has perverted to the point where we cannot focus on others. Okay, it has to be an act of God coming in and helping us in this way. And that, that is the what leads to the ultimate bigotry of you being the only one who is correct in everything. And Romans goes on in, in chapter one to talk about this, that they got so bad that they didn't, you know, even give God thanks. They didn't glorify him. Their hearts were darkened. Okay. Their senseless hearts were darkened. And verse 22, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And I think everybody would agree with that that's listening to this. Because even our own biases, even our own bigotry, we look at the people that we don't like, we look at the ideologies that we don't like, and we would say that exact same thing. They claim to be wise, but actually they're fools. And we would say, yeah, because they're not us. I'm not in that group. And immediately, as soon as you do that, that's bigotry. Find that in yourself. Now, what really solidifies bigotry into what people like to, you know, contemporarily call racism with using that misnomer is that when you put yourself in an echo chamber with other bigots and you lose the capacity to actually logically think through things, and you lose the Christian worldview. You lose Christ as the center of your life, the center of your thought process. Okay, the main idea of the Christian worldview. And now, you it, be, it becomes really a me and Jesus mentality that, you know, my thoughts are the thoughts of Christ, and so therefore, the way that I view things, that is how it truly is. And that's where it becomes extremely problematic. But what did these people do? Okay, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal human beings or birds or four-footed animals or reptiles. And this is Paul's allusion to Israel and you know to the golden calf incident, but also a slight at um, the Egyptians, slight at the pagans, slight at you know everybody else because you're taking what is not. You're taking what is not God, anything that is not God, and that is the thing that you are giving glory to, especially mortal human beings. And people do that. We just saw that in this election. I mean, we see it on almost every election. This has become a, a, a problem in this country for a very long time, but only over the last... Oh, I don't know. I, I want to say 16 years or so, maybe. It's really become a cult of personality. It really has. Um, probably the, the greatest divider that we have, and I know I'm going to get hate mail for this, and I know people are going to disagree with me on this. Of course, they're going to label me as an other. They're going to put me on this other side. But um, 
President Obama was probably the most divisive president that I had ever seen in my life. I mean, intentionally divisive. It was weird because I never, I never really followed politics. I wasn't, you know, really big into it. And then my uh, my sister in law, um, you know, told me that I should, um, and you know, I should engage in it more and I should follow it. And so I decided to, um, probably much to her dismay because I don't fall on the same um, you know, political spectrum as she did. But there were weird things that I I, I started noticing, and. Um, you know, it's like, okay, I was peripherally um, it, uh, watching politics. I think that the before this point, probably the height of my political interest was only peaked with um, the, the election of George W. Bush. Because the whole thing with the, you know, the counts taking place and the hanging chads, if you remember any of that from the election of 2000. Um, and also, I just, I thought it was just fascinating. It was, it was wild. But something else happened that um, there was a point where the Republicans uh, controlled, you know, the executive branch and the legislative, legislative branch, the House and the Senate. And my thought was, well, this is great. Then Roe v. Wade is going to be uh, rescinded. Like abortion will be made illegal in this country as it should. It's it's flat out murder. You know, it's it's our modern day slavery. But you know, people don't like to talk about that. They don't like to talk about it that way, or or treat people in in you know the way that they ought to be treated who support abortion. Um, and, and by that, I mean by, you know, shaming them and pushing them back in the same way that you would treat someone that supported slavery or, or someone who was a slave owner. But what I'm getting at here is that I was disillusioned in thinking that there was a moral political party because the rhetoric that they used closely conformed to one particular view that I had on abortion. And I learned very, very quickly from them that that's not the case at all. Uh, they were in it for self-interest. They didn't even try to rescind Roe v. Wade. Like there, there was like nothing there. And, you know, and, and it was just like, so, so they did nothing except, you know, make their own pockets fatter. I mean, that just generally was what happened. And then, you know, you figure you might be able to do because you'd hear these so-called blue dog Democrats that were pro-life, that would that would work with them. And, you know, but they were disillusioned. I became disillusioned with them in 2010 because what they did is they folded with Obamacare. They did. They used all their political capital to pass something that, you know, would claim to fund Planned Parenthood, which is a horrible organization whose you know, job it is to, well, it's, it's, its original job is to exterminate human weeds, namely black people. That's a, a lot of what they wanted to do. But the fact that we've been funding this, you know, horrible monolith of, of an industry for years with our tax dollars, and it doesn't matter who's in power, but it is an unchristian thing, it never gives us time to pause. You know, we figure, oh, if we get this political party in or that political party and then things will change. And that is putting our hope in something other than Christ. That was a huge lesson to learn and a huge mistake that I made in my life.
Theology Pit is a partner-funded ministry. Please consider partnering with us by making a donation at thetheologypit.com. Just scroll to the bottom of the page, hit the donate button, and make a contribution to the best Theology Pit podcast on the internet. Now let's get back to the show. So you have to come out of this mentality of, you know, hating the other, hating God, namely. And in Romans, it says that, you know, because people did this, God gave them over to the desires of their hearts, to impurity, to dishonor their body among themselves. Um, They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creation rather than the creator. That was the biggest problem. And it still is. Um, One of the most the craziest things that I've ever seen as far as bigotry goes in this way is the, the, the political, the politicization of the church and of Christians to the point where we worship a cult of personality and it's spilled over. It's, it's now, I think it's almost run full circle in a, in a lot of ways. It's, it's less on the Republican side. I can say that honestly, because you have to go to fringe elements to find that. And that's a lot of these QAnon people that I, I, I found out after talking to some pastors with, you know, um, the uh, attack on the Capitol that happened and, and, you know, that mob raid and all that stuff. And that was all these QAnon people. And it's like, well, who are these people? What exactly are they? And these are literally people who worship Donald Trump as the Messiah. Okay, they are literally worshiping somebody else. Now, that is not Trump supporters. Okay, that is not Republicans. That is not a Republican party. That's not even majority Republican party. You don't have weird stuff like that going on. Okay, but yet these people actually do, and they believe a lot of really, really weird stuff. Okay, now on the Democrat side, though, to look at the same type of cult of personality, this this Messiah worship, this Messiah complex, you have to go back to you know Barack Obama, and people were so strange with this, so divided with this that they actually do look past um, any type of election fraud that took place because we we've always there's always been election fraud always okay it just depends on what scale it is this last election was just on the biggest scale that we've ever seen it was enormous okay and there were a lot of moving parts in it and i'm not going to go over all of it uh but to say that there was no election fraud is completely naive there always is this is just the type of election fraud that you see in places like california and in places like um like uh, Illinois and in Detroit and, you know, Chicago, those type of places, you know, I mean, the the joke that I've heard ever since I was a kid was, you know, vote early, vote often. That's the Chicago way, you know, because there's always been election fraud, always, always. So anyone that says that there was no, there wasn't any election fraud, they have, they have no clue about history. But uh, ballot harvesting, you know, was a problem. I, I noticed things in my own neighborhood that were going on that was that was an issue. The mail-in ballots were a disaster. The I mean, just every it was just, it was super problematic. It, it just everything about it was. But in 2008, in that election in Philadelphia, you had the um, uh, I think it was the New Black Panther Party, uh, I, and I can't remember the guy's name. Um, but he, um, the Black Panther Party would stand outside polling places um, with weapons and they would intimidate people. And 
unless you were voting for Obama, they didn't want you in there. They were keeping white people from voting. And they said, they kept saying that we're going to have a black president. We're going to have a black president. And they did that. They were um, arrested for that. And they were brought up on an indictment charge, but Obama won. And the first thing that Eric Holder did as attorney general was drop the charges because he said that the Voting Rights Act of the 1960s was only for black people, not for white people. All right. So you had this huge, bigoted um, change and nobody and nobody seemed to mind. Like, I mean, you know, the 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 people on the left, the, the Democrats, the liberals, the communists, the socialists, they didn't have a problem with that because their person won. So they were totally fine with it. But what started happening with this cult of personality with Obama was he did have this messiah complex. I mean, you can still find the audio clips. I'm not going to dig them up here of him talking about now that he was elected, that the earth was going to begin to heal and the oceans would begin to recede. You know, global warming would be stopped because of because of him, because of this messiah complex. School children were taught to sing songs to Obama. They are singing songs and praising him. They had this complete type of messiah complex and this worship because of the bigotry in their hearts, because sin had crept in and distorted them so badly that these people would probably even claim to be Christians. But here they were, worshiping a man instead of God, flat out worship. That's what this was. And what happens is, whenever you begin this type of bigotry and you allow it to spiral, and like I said, it goes from you know the politics to the um, you know to the territory to the tribe to the individual to the self then what you start doing is you're only looking to yourself and you figure if you think that way and if you feel that way well then so does everybody else and you start projecting that onto other people so when the time came around for um donald trump and when he was elected people said uh, people started projecting that onto the people that voted for Trump. It wasn't like a policy thing for them. You know, it wasn't like, or, and it also wasn't that Hillary Clinton was one of the worst candidates that you could have ever, ever possibly run. But it, they started projecting it. Oh, the same way that we looked at President Obama, the supporters of Donald Trump look at him. And that is completely wrong. That is this, this bias, bigotry of projection. And now you start treating people like that. Okay, This is how this echo chamber cycle starts to work that digs deep into people's hearts and it causes what, what you know is commonly called racism. And how could people be racist and how could people be bigots? This is how it starts. This is it. To the point where people then start looking at them as they worship Donald Trump. I remember somebody asking me, you know, if I was one of those people who love Donald Trump. Like, and the way that they asked it, I mean, because I, I knew their, their political bent and they knew that I was a pastor. And I said, well, I don't hate the man. Like, I want that to be clear. Like, I don't I agree with his personality. I don't, you know, care for his rhetoric. Uh, but policy-wise, like, he's not, he wasn't horrible. He's actually really, really good. Where Obama was very likable, you know, he was very charming. But, you know, politically, like, as far as politics goes, it was, it was a mess. It was awful. It was terrible. There was so much unrest. There was so much garbage that, that went on with it. I mean, you got to figure, uh, the wars that, Obama got us in, 
you know, in Afghanistan and stuff, Donald Trump never got us into any wars. So you can say what you want to about him, but he never started any wars. He's a president that didn't start a war, which is, you know, odd in America these days, but he didn't start a war. And this isn't me being some Trump apologist. This is me just stating the facts. And if you're listening to this and you are gaining a hatred for me and thinking that I'm worshiping him, just because I'm, I'm saying I'm not talking about Donald Trump in only a negative fashion, which seems to be the only thing that people are allowed to do, this is your bias. This is your bigotry. This is what you need to root out. And the same thing goes for people on the left, you know, um, with the Black Lives Matter movement. You look at all the, the, the riots and the destruction all summer and, and you know, and then through the, um, through the fall and everything that happened there. And it was all because of the, you know, the Black Lives Matter protests that they were there not causing it, so to speak, but enabling it because you did have people like Antifa which is the you know QAnon version of the left? Basically, they're just anarchists. They just they they take highly emotional um, you know groups and mobs, which are very easy to influence, and they start causing problems. And just like on both sides, you had people trying to stop them while it was happening. But once it takes off, it's it's hard to stop an entire mob. And the the thing that occurred from this that people came out and said. And even some very, you know, pro-Black Lives Matter authors have said that don't mistake the Black Lives Matter organization with Black Lives Matter, the slogan. They're two different things. As a Christian, they would say, you cannot support Black Lives Matter, the organization, it is a Marxist organization, and a Marxist organization is anti-religion. It is anti-Christianity. All right, Black Lives Matter, the organization, is run by many um, avowed Marxists. They've come out and that they've said it. That's different than Black Lives Matter, the slogan. All right, the meaning behind that. The thing that I would say, probably, I mean, I haven't interviewed everybody, but 95% of the people who support Black Lives Matter, they are with the slogan, not the organization. The organization took in, what, like a like billion dollars or something? I mean, it was something ridiculous over the summer. And where is that money? What happened to it? It didn't go back, it didn't go to, to, to rebuild any of those towns. It didn't like go and do that. And so getting this understanding of what people are saying and how they are saying it and sympathizing with them and empathizing with them is what we need to do as Christians. And the problem here is, though, is that if I spoke this way at a, a, a group or to people who are so bigoted and so biased against um, you know, white people, white Americans, um, conservatives, constitutionalists, anyone that voted for Donald Trump, anyone that doesn't think he's... A, anyway, they, won't, they would never hear what I had to say. They would never hear this argument laid out because they are so blinded by hate and rage that they, they, and they've turned in on themselves so much that if you are not them, you are the enemy in some point. And we're seeing that rhetoric come out in politics. And now you have people that are on the right. They are adopting that because they are being treated this way. And it's becoming so problematic for them. 
that they're just lashing out and saying, fine, if this is the way you want to do it, this is how we're going to do it. But here's what's, here's what's worse. And I'm going to, I'm going to predict this right now on both sides, whenever this type of violence would start and the wrong would be happening, you would have people, as I said, trying to stop it while it occurred. Soon we're going to get to a point that those people are not going to try to stop it anymore. They won't engage in it, but they will passively allow it to continue. They'll just let it go. And that is the most dangerous point. When good people, when good Christians that have a Christ-centered focus, a Christ-centered mind, actually stop caring. Because what's it say? The, the only thing that stops a, a, a bad person from doing something is a good person standing up to them. And if we lose that, we will lose our country. Thank you for listening to The Theology Pit. Please take a moment to rate our podcast and leave a comment about what you like or what you don't like. Each rating and comment helps others discover this show. Don't forget to visit us at thetheologypit.com to make a donation. While on the website, we would appreciate it if you would share these podcasts with your friends and family on social media. Our Facebook page is also titled The Theology Pit. Stop over and give us a like. If you have any questions or topics you would like to hear discussed on the podcast, please write to samson at thetheologypit.com. That's samson, spelled S-A-M-S-O-N, at thetheologypit.com. Now, here's a preview of next week's show. In America, being an American is an idea, and Christianity means something. And if we are not Christ-centered, then we will lose our identity as Americans. And if there are no Americans, there will be no America. That's just how it works. This country was designed and built for Americans that can self-govern, people that aren't bigots. And if you don't think you are a bigot or you've never dealt with your own bigotry, I would really ask that you search yourself. And we'll probably continue this topic on later. Thanks. This and more on the next Theology Pit.